Recording, recording. Hola. Hola. ¿Qué tal? <laughs> Nada mucho. You do? <laughs> Practicing for Nada mucho trip. también. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Double Cuzzies, where two people who share 25% of their DNA and their entire extended families talk about life. Double Cousins. It's like if Maggie and Jake Gyllenhaal married John and Joan Cusack and had kids. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I don't know what I think about that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the I think that's the appropriate reaction. Yeah. That example is very much just like okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I never made the John and Joan connection. Mm. There's actually a lot of Cusacks, isn't there? There's there's another sister. Hmm. I don't know her name. But you would recognize her though. She's a working actress as well. Quite the prolific career. I just yeah. don't know her IMDb offhand or her name. <laughs> she's just not memorable enough for you to remember her name. Yes, yes. She is not a Joan Cusack in my mind. Or she's just such a good actress that her name is irrelevant. She's a chameleon. Yeah. Right. But I also don't know the names of any of her characters. So I guess that's... <sighs> yeah. Well, this week we're talking about... Nothing related to the Cusacks. <laughs> right. This week, we're dusting off the gears a little bit, because <laughs> for listeners, it won't seem like any time has passed at all since our last episode, but it's actually been quite a few weeks since like we recorded. two or three weeks, I think. Yeah. yeah. I guess part of it is related to the topic of this week's episode. That's which true. Is yeah, I was on... Travel. Yeah. Travel. See, look, we're, even, we're already talking over each other and everything. Cadence <laughs> is all off. Ugh. This is why we can't go on vacations anymore. We just no, I can't leave. Can't leave anymore. But yeah, Kalia, why don't you share with the listeners why why our rhythm is all fucked up? Yeah, our <laughs> rhythm is all off because I took a trip. I was in Portugal for almost two weeks, and it's I'm still recovering. I'm a little <laughs> slow still. <laughs> it was uh, my first big trip since the pandemic so that was interesting and uh, very kind of uh, anxiety inducing in some ways just trying to stay safe and I won't get too into it because I'm tired of thinking about it but yeah there <laughs> were some things we had to deal with again. <laughs> <laughs> but we got there I got back I would definitely recommend Portugal, especially Lisbon, but it definitely felt great to to be transported somewhere far away where the landscape and the people and everything was very, very different. So so this week we're talking about travel. We're going to get into our childhood memories of travel, how those have influenced our interest in travel growing up and as adults. But before we get into it, actually, we have a Patreon shout out, right? We do. We do. Yeah, I'll let you give the shout out. All right. So this week's Patreon shout out. Wait, let me find the. Yes. <laughs> I have to use the gong noise. Shout out to Grace. Thank you very much, Grace. Yes. 
using the soundboard here. So Grace is actually a very good friend of mine. She's one of my oldest friends, not by age, but by time of life. And uh, I've known her since freshman year of college, actually. Grace is a community-based activist in Maui. So she is fighting that good fight. And so I've always had a lot of admiration for, for her work. And so I really appreciate her support for this fun project that we are doing. We recently reconnected after having lost touch for the past few years. And this has been a great thing to discuss with her, too. And so... Grace, I appreciate your support, your financial support, especially knowing that you are living on that activist salary. And so a shout out to all of our listeners. We're not looking for financial support. Uh, That's amazing and appreciated. But really, uh, Grace's support and hyping the podcast within her circle of friends, too, has been really wonderful. And so, you know, if if you like what you're listening to, then the best way that you can support us is, is by sharing it with other people. And so so thank you, Grace, for your support, not only through our Patreon, but just as a friend, as well as buying some of our merch on uh, Redbubble, too. So she's really, really repping the Double Cuzzies <laughs> podcast all over the place. <laughs> thank you so much, Grace. You're awesome. Yes. We appreciate you. Get yourself a hype woman like Grace. <laughs> okay, so we'll go back into the conversation now about travel. Mm-hmm. So, Kalia, what are some of your memories of some of the the bigger or more memorable family trips growing up? Hmm. Let me tap into the memory balls of my mind. Big memories. Well, we would go to California often because we had family there. So that was a recurring place in my travel memory. I think you probably experienced a little bit of that too. We'd go and visit cousins and aunts and uncles. So San Diego is somewhere that's very special to me because of that. And I'm very lucky because when we were younger, my mother was a teacher. So we had the same summer schedules. So we'd always take a pretty big family trip in the summer all four of us together for like a week or so and just spend time together in that way and that's something that yeah I'm so thankful that my parents created those experiences for us and made that a priority big travel memories it's really hard to differentiate memories from photos Mm. because I feel like Things are popping up, but I was like, do I remember that just from the pictures of when we're in New Mexico or something? Yeah, it's like, do I remember Um, the experience or am I actually remembering just looking at the picture of it? Yeah, 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 exactly. But I think my first big travel memory was, I think probably the first big trip I took with my family was when we went to Malaysia, Mm. where my dad is from and where we had and have some family living. So we went to to Malaysia (laughs) to visit them. It was a really long trip. I think we were gone for like a month and we traveled around the area. We went to Singapore, Penang, and I think we ended up in Hawaii for a family reunion to round out that trip. So all of you guys were there. Do you remember that? I forget which Hawaii trip that was. So it's so funny because as you were recounting that Malaysia trip, I was recounting my Malaysia trip. But they were not the same Malaysia trips. And I didn't realize that until you said that you ended up in Hawaii and met up with us. Yeah. Because when did you go? It must have been, I think I was around nine. Okay. How old were you? I was about the same age when I went. Okay. So So, the rite of passage as a nine year old in our family (laughs) is going to Malaysia. Yeah. But I remember the Hawaii trip then that you're talking about. And I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, like the the Hawaii trips were always super memorable in our family Mm -hmm. um, because those were like, I mean, even though all of the family pretty much lived within Phoenix or Southern California and we saw each other very often, 
those were sort of like our pseudo family reunions, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like uh, that, that side of the family, I think was very much like the modern family in modern family where it's, it's like you see each other all the time, yeah. but yet you still go on these like big yeah. trips and stuff together. I mean, it's, it's different really nice. spending time together in that atmosphere mm-hmm. too. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, I'm very grateful for those. But I remember Malaysia being the first time, I think I was about nine on that trip. The first time I I was traveling and kind of saw the social differences when you travel among a place. So the hard example is we went to this island called Langkawi and my uncle's friend had hooked us up with this really nice like casita at this resort, super luxurious, like private beach. But getting there, we took a car through kind of this jungly landscape and I remember just seeing you know, people like the actual living conditions of this little island. People were living in homes made of just metal sheets and cardboard. And it was just, you know, it was very, very stark. Like you have to go through this landscape to get to this little utopia. And I remember even at that age thinking like, this is, this is weird. This isn't right. Like something is off here. And I didn't fully, you know, process the how that economy works into the resort and why things are so mm-hmm. cheap there for travelers and whatnot. But there was definitely a moment of like, hmm, this isn't what I expected and it's not sitting right with me. Yeah. So you're like, I don't feel great about this, but I don't know why exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that that trip to Malaysia when I went, that it was it was definitely the farthest, you know, that we mm. that I had gone at that point in life. I, that, that I can recall anyways. But it was also the first exposure into being in Asia, in mm. Asian culture, you know. And, and so I think that was really interesting. And also being somewhere where you don't speak any of the language. And so that was, that was a really interesting experience. But it was, it was really nice, like, going back there and seeing where your father and my mother grew up. Because mm-hmm. it's just so the different. house. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and until you really see it, like, I mean, you can see pictures of it. But until you're there, you don't have an idea for how different the lifestyle is there versus mm-hmm. growing up in America. So that was really cool. But I remember the logistics of getting over there. And I'm sure it's, it's improved now as far as, you know, the amount of flights that you have to take. But it's still a lot. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and just thinking about that, I'm pretty sure my mom flew out with just me and my brother. And then my mm-hmm. dad flew out a little bit later. And so she was, I believe, maybe I'm just completely making this up in my head. So this is, again, something that I will ask. But I'm just thinking about it now of like, wow, navigating international travel with two kids two by kids. yourself or like even not by yourself. Like, that's a lot. And and given mm-hmm. like, you know, I was nine and, and so my brother was, you know, like a, a tween or a teenager. So it's different when they're a little bit independent, but it's still a lot mm-hmm. of considering a lot of things, right? Logistics and papers and all of that yeah. stuff. So Yeah. And just like making sure you're staying accountable for your kids because that's old but kids are still kids so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, travel when I think about it in like the abstract concept of travel like what's required for travel like thinking about the amount of planning that is involved Mm -hmm. in it and I guess maybe maybe this is my conception of just like because the way that our family does it specifically (laughs) the way that the women in our family do it right of like we plan out a trip so so I guess I kind of can't cannot separate the concept of travel with the actual 
minutia of executing those plans, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. now as like a mom too, I'm thinking of like, oh, I would love to go on all of these trips. And then I'm like immediately get tired thinking about the amount of planning yeah. it requires and the amount of like packing and prep. But but yeah, as a kid, just, you're just along for the ride. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. I know. And I, I remember like a few years ago, I was thinking about just all those little steps that it took my parents. And it's like, oh my gosh, I don't I don't think I ever said thank you for that. So thank you, mom and dad, because I'm sure one of you are listening right now. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm the same way. And the planning, it's like, okay, you choose a destination, then immediately the researching, all the options, making a list of everything you need. And that's just like myself, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like I'm pretty low maintenance in terms of like, you know, this past trip I took, I just had to carry on. I didn't have too much stuff, but it's just like, it's something about our genetics, like where your yeah. mind goes yes. <laughs> when, it's the when faced list. with that task. It's the packing list immediately, yes. <laughs> right? It's like, well, yeah. what's the weather going to be like? Like, am I going to need? Uh, and it's different challenges that, you know, like travel has changed so much since we mm-hmm. were kids. Like you think about it of the prevalence of accepted credit cards, payment options, mm-hmm. like even language barriers, access to information about how to navigate a place is so drastically different. Just being able to look up ticket options online too. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day of like, I feel like the need for a travel agent or that job has been revitalized Mm. because we have swung so far to the side of unlimited access to information and options that it's Mm -hmm. difficult to navigate. It's almost as if you have too much information and so you don't know what's good or like what's where you should go from one place to another. Like what's the most efficient way of doing that, you know? And so uh, I think that there's, there's there's, that job's probably springing back up of just like, yeah, I'd pay somebody just to figure it out for me. Yeah, (laughs) definitely option fatigue. Like, and then with third-party review sites or even like you look up a hotel on Priceline or TripAdvisor, whatever, and then know all those forums you can get into a spiral of just like reading the opinions of people who you don't even care about and then it just like (laughs) yeah this happened to me this morning so (laughs) like why do I care about what Jean from Scotland thought about this city I don't (laughs) (sighs) that's why you got to post your review afterwards and then people will be like well why do I care what Kalia from Scottsdale thinks (laughs) (laughs) if i ever write a review on those sites i'll just end it with like but what i think should not matter because i don't fucking know you (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how you travel or but i mean to that point i think there's there are very different styles of travel and different attitudes that people approach it with and for better or for worse uh, it seems like we have that same trait of kind of overthinking things or (laughs) Just I mean, being way on I top guess, of things, I'm, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I, I'm like already feeling defensive of like, I don't think it's overthinking things. I think it's just being very thoughtful. <laughs> being very thoughtful. It's being yeah. very conscientious about things, but I think it's when it creates anxiety in yourself doing that, it's like, just chill. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like things that you can that you can easily buy if you forget, then it's like just, you know, it's it's going to yeah. be okay as long as you yeah. have the other critical things. But, you know, I think like you said, it's, it's there's different ways of traveling and there's different styles and people have different priorities. Mm-hmm. I think growing up, one common theme in, in like 
that we've we've talked about this in previous episodes. I mean, a, a theme and just an, an interest in our family is the food. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of travel, I also recall, like, especially to Malaysia and Asia, it's, mm. it's, it's very focused around like, oh, we have to go eat at this place or like this place mm-hmm. has the best, you know, dish or whatever. And so even when we're on vacations, too, it's like, oh, which restaurants do we want to go to? You know, mm-hmm. and, and I don't I do that now, you know, even just yeah. traveling as an adult. And so I think that's something yeah, that's carried through for sure. Yeah. But yeah, what what interests you eating shitty food? I actually just. I was very underwhelmed by the food in Portugal. So a lot of potatoes and salted cod mm. and sandwiches, like not a vegetable in sight. It was insane. Um, <laughs> so then what did you insane, eat? Insane. What did you eat when you got home? Just like salad, salad, salad. I ate, yeah, broccoli. I just wanted a plate of broccoli and like roasted vegetables and some like lean protein. Yeah. Yeah. When you travel, like, is there something that typically when you come home, you want to eat? Mm. Like there's something that you miss? Mm. Nothing that comes to mind. No. I think it may depend on where I am, like what Mm -hmm. access to food I have, but no, nothing comes to mind. How about you? I think when when I traveled to like Europe, I immediately wanted to eat a lot of Asian food when I got home. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I think regardless of where I was, unless it was Mexico, I really wanted to eat a lot of Mexican food when I got home. Oh, okay. I think Mex- Mexican food is still something that I really love to eat when I go home, even living in California, because the Mexican yeah. food in Arizona is very different. So different. Yeah. yeah. And even the Chinese food in Arizona is very different. And mm. so I think that that's something that like I associate specifically with Phoenix and coming home. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then when I was in Asia... It's weird because then it's like you come home and it's like, well, I've been eating Asian food, you know, or I've been eating Chinese mm-hmm. food or Taiwanese food this whole time. So, so then, yeah, Mexican food. Yeah. <laughs> so Mexican food. Yeah. The other food of your homeland. Yes. Yes, exactly. The melting pot that is Arizona. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, now with this last trip that you went on and just like as an adult, you know, what are your priorities and interests like when you travel? Like, how do you choose where you want to go? Yeah, that's a good question. It depends on who I'm traveling with, because if it's just myself or I'm going with my partner or like this past trip as like linking up with a friend, I know that they will like to do very different things. So it depends on who I'm going with. But in general, my personal priorities are typically somewhere where I can be outdoors. I like to walk a lot Mm -hmm. when I travel. Just I think that's the best way to see a city walk all over the place, get a little lost, discover some weird place down the alley that, you know, didn't show up on Google Maps. So, yeah, that's what I like to do. You know, and it can be a mix. I feel like as I get older and older, I'm not as attracted to going to big cities. Mm -hmm. And it might be because, you know, Phoenix, Scottsdale has a bit of all of those it is a big city here, Phoenix and everything around here. And so I feel like when, you know, you visit London or like, I mean, I was going to say Tokyo, but Tokyo is very different. But it's just like you're kind of doing the same shit. It's just it looks different. Yeah. And like the restaurants are different. People are different. And that's that's great and cool about it. But I feel gravitated to more like quiet cities or little towns when I travel nowadays. Yeah. So. I think just a different speed of of life than what I have at home. But I mean, home's been pretty quiet now anyway. So I don't know. It it definitely evolves. 
I mean, I think we're both so lucky and like, you know, we start off this discussion just on the assumption of like, we have both traveled a lot mm-hmm. all over the world since, since childhood too, you know? And so I think we've, we've gotten to the point where it's like, wow, we've gone to a lot of the kind of the major like mm-hmm. destination cities that most people think of, you know, we have exposure to a lot of different cultures. And so, I mean, I, I do feel myself a little bit jaded and I also definitely recognize like the privilege that I had of being exposed to all of these different things growing up because I think that that definitely like instills an interest in travel as an adult, you know, of like we were exposed Mm -hmm. to all these things and, and you know, when we would travel as kids too, I would recall that like it would, we would be going on very nice trips too, Mm -hmm. you know, it was because it it was always this concept too of like, if we're going to be spending the money and we're going to be spending the time. And we're going to be spending the effort of getting to somewhere like it should be an enjoyable experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so I think I definitely that's how I also prioritize when I will how I spend money on trips, too, is that it's mm-hmm. like, yes, it's worth staying at a nicer place or it's worth splurging on this or this part. I yeah. don't care so much about, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 I think it's always been a, it's like it depends on who you're traveling with. Right. With family trips. Yeah. I think that was something where it was always like we just want to be together. And mm-hmm. we just want to eat good food and we just want to relax. Yeah. You know? And so I think like those family Hawaiian trips were perfect. And I think that's mm-hmm. why I had such an affinity for Hawaii and still do mm-hmm. of just like such fond memories. And I think it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, the, the perfect mix of food and culture and accessibility. Mm-hmm. And I love a good beach too. And so it's mm-hmm. like, it was, and, and it's, it's pretty close. And, uh, and so I, I definitely remember those trips really fondly. And I remember going to Southern California and like San Diego and doing those road trips. And those were always fun too, because th- I mean, that's an experience in itself and something that I find myself doing with my family now, because mm-hmm. you know, it's like load up the minivan and think about how you're going to spend the next, you know, six hours or a couple of days on the road. And, and so it's, again, it's like, it's not just the point of getting to there, it's the time spent like in the car and, you know, looking at things and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and, uh, and when we were kids, you know, just hanging out in the minivan with like probably no seatbelts on, just like (laughs) rolling around the back, (laughs) 90s kid style. (laughs) So, and now it's like, my kids are strapped into these like race car seats and they have like screens (laughs) in front of them and everything. So Times have changed. Yeah. You don't have to plan any like activities, just a screen. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, still, it, it's Snacks. own challenges, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, at least that's the op- an, an option anyways. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is such a such a privilege and like a blessing that, you know, our family made these experiences and our parents and everybody came together and prioritized that. And yeah, I mean, we're, we're very, very lucky in that sense. Um, you mentioned road trips. I, I do love road trips because I feel like just that process of getting somewhere mm-hmm. is, it can be, depending on where you're driving, but it can be so gratifying and just such a cool way to see a place and see how a landscape changes and um, big, big fan of road trips. I remember kind of loathing them when I was little though, because I would get mm. really carsick mm-hmm. and it would kind of be the same trip every year multiple times a year to San Diego so the drive got kind of boring but I'm a big fan of them in adulthood yeah you know during the during the pandemic it was when we we stopped flying right as much Mm -hmm. and so we started making the drive from Northern California to Arizona and that's a Mm two-day drive you know it's or it's like 12 hours but when you have kids it has to be a two-day drive yeah and uh, and so that has been an interesting experience of like i i look forward to doing it more as the kids get older 
because when we first started doing it, we only had one kid, but then it was mm-hmm. also like everything was closed along the way because mm-hmm. of the pandemic and nothing really felt safe to go to either, but it's stuff has started to open back up, you know? And so it's like each trip little by little, there's more things to stop at and to look at. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and so it's, it's, I'm looking forward to like, you know, all those little kitschy things of like mm-hmm. stop at the dinosaurs and Palm Springs, you know, yeah, and, you and see the dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. And like all these random landmarks. And, and I think it's, it's kind of interesting too, because we didn't take a lot of road trips within the U.S. or a lot of trips within the U.S. outside of like, I feel like Hawaii or going to California. Mm-hmm. And so I always felt like we traveled a lot more internationally than we did domestically. And so I felt mm-hmm. like I had been to more cities outside of the U.S. than in the U.S. And so there's just so much, though, of the U.S. to explore. And so like, you know, having lived in the Midwest and then I flew across the country. I didn't drive. But when my husband moved mm-hmm. across, like he he drove across, my parents drove across when they were helping move out our dogs and stuff. And so I just think that it's like, that's probably what's going to be one uh, another, something that I, I will plan as like a bucket list item is like a U.S. road trip or something. Oh, yeah. With an RV. Yeah. Well, you know, our parents speak very fondly of, of that trip that they took when they were kids in an RV yeah. with grandma and grandpa. So I just think, oh my God, the planning, grandma and grandpa. You immediately go to like, oh my God, the planning. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of prep back then too, I'm sure. (laughs) But I don't know, maybe back then, maybe back then it was easier though, because your options were so limited, spelled out and limited. Yeah. Yeah. Simpler times. Simpler times. Yes. Do you have any love and hate? memories about travel growing up yeah I mean definitely the actual driving or commute like any sort of actual logistics of getting to a place and not just Mm -hmm. being in that place because I think it was like I didn't start to appreciate that part of the of travel until later in life Mm -hmm. and and I think it was it was probably just because like the the modes of of transportation that we were taking at childhood trips it was like the point of it is to get to the destination Right. It's like you're in a van or you're on a plane and it's just to get to wherever you're trying to go. And then when I got older, you know, started when I graduated from high school, I went to Europe to go backpacking around with a couple of friends. And we took a lot of trains and that was the first exposure to like trains. And so I just love that of about Europe. And like I wish that there was that type of accessibility within the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, if they yeah. passed some infrastructure would be great. So, yeah, I think it was, like, kind of the, the logistical part of it that I really didn't like. The stuff that I really loved about it, though, I mean, I think I kind of always remember going on, like, a lot of shopping trips with my mom wherever we were, and that mm-hmm. was kind of a yeah. nice activity. And, yeah. and, you know, some of the tangible souvenirs from those trips, but but I think just the memory of, like, you know, shopping for those things and seeing, yeah. you know, what they have more so than like the actual tchotchke that I came back with. So yeah. Yeah. Like how different the shopping is in different places. Yeah. Which I feel like is kind of, I mean, back to like living in a big city and the way shopping is now, it's like not as special. I yeah. feel like when I travel, cause it's like, we have the same big stores, obviously there's going to be local stuff and specialized things, but yeah, I feel like my desire to shop I still like looking at things, but actually buying things I'm very picky about now mm-hmm. when I travel. Yeah. As compared to when I was young, I, I remember like the first time 
I went to Europe. It was totally different stores. I'd never seen a Zara and I like yeah. bought a whole new wardrobe pretty much. So Yeah, I remember that too because it, it was like the, I feel like fast fashion or at least nice fast fashion had not mm. made it to the US at that point. And so mm. Zara just looked so much nicer than anything at that price range within the US. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now it's like you can buy basically anything online that you want and everything is global and and so it is more about like what are the locally made things that aren't yeah. for What's... sale outside of this particular shop in this particular mm-hmm. town. So Yeah. Yeah. What happens when you blend seven shots of espresso, triple X extra caramel caramel, twelve ounces of protein enriched donkey milk, and a bump of powdered sugar with frozen cubes of Red Bull and top it with a frosted tip of whipped cream all in a flame decaled limited edition thermos wrapped up in a koozie that looks like a mini bowling shirt? You've got a Flavortown Freeze, the new Guy Fieri Dutch Post collab that'll keep you wired as hot as a red Camaro cruising on a tank full of donkey sauce. Try it for a limited time at a Dutch Post near you. And mention Double Cuzzies to get a free donkey sauce chaser while supplies last. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This last one that I did, I was like, I had the subject in my phone. I was like, how am I going to make a commercial for a gross Dutch Brothers drink? I remember I was like taking a nap and I was half asleep and then I like shot awake. The donkey sauce kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> that that bump and of I, powder sugar. <laughs> and I got my phone out and just like banged it out. <laughs> but um, you talk about like difference between solo trips and like depending on who you're traveling with and everything. How do you feel about like solo trips? And because I feel like being able to travel on your own is is important for people to be Mm -hmm. able to do right and and I think that like it's definitely takes a certain level of like yes you have to be prepared but you have you have to also be like confident enough to put yourself in like a new place Mm -hmm. and to not know anybody and maybe not know the language either yeah so like how have you I guess like what's your experience with with solo travel been like as you've grown up Mm-hmm. Well, I think I have confidence in traveling alone because of the type of travel mm-hmm. and the frequency of travel that I experienced when I was younger. So I really love solo travel. I mean, just having to consider yourself right. when you're in a different place. And I mean, I I love my partner. I love traveling with friends. But it's always like, okay, you have an idea and then... It's like maybe it's just kind of the per- the kind of person I am, but it's like okay, well they like this or like it's it's always fifty fifty, like mm-hmm. considering them as much as you. Which when it's a person you love, that's fine. I enjoy that. But when you just can like do whatever the hell you want at the pace that you want to, at the pace that right. you want, yeah. yeah, yeah, and just like make decisions on the fly, just based on what you're feeling or what you want to eat or even if it's just like I want to stay in one day and do Mm -hmm. nothing then you can do that and the you know other person won't feel like it's a waste because there is no other person so I think solo travel is some of the best travel I've ever done I've actually I've done some solo travel around the U.S. I've done one solo trip going out to Japan but I met up with friends for a portion of it so pseudo solo travel but this next trip I have coming up will be my first like true solo travel just out there by myself the whole time trip. Mm-hmm. and I'm going to Peru which is a crazy solo, solo <laughs> trip <laughs> we can talk more about it in another episode but yeah I really enjoy it I'm a huge proponent of it I know that it's a huge uh, privilege and just 
not many people have the time or resources to do that. So I'm very, very lucky that I've been able to experience that in the past few years, but it's something I highly recommend. Do you remember what your first solo trip was? Or not even like your first solo trip, but do you remember what your first trip was not with your parents or family? I do. I actually was just thinking about that. It was with you and your parents. We went to San Francisco for a family wedding. Oh, okay. I'm trying to remember because for some reason, I feel like my all parents... of those trips kind of blend together in my brain. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> yeah, the cut, the older generation of cousins. There was a lot of those, I feel like. Yes. I feel like they were all in a string, right, too. Like in a short time frame, I feel like there was a lot. So there was a lot of travel between, yeah, Arizona and and Northern California and just California, I guess. Yeah. What was so memorable about that trip? Because, I mean, you were still with with family, but you just weren't with your I was still with family, but I remember it was you and your parents, and then I don't know if Popo and Gungung went, but I remember being at their house right before it. I don't know why. But I remember being very scared to go somewhere without my parents, even though it was with family. And I remember, I don't know exactly how old I was, probably like embarrassingly too old. But I remember crying the night before just because like the nerves were catching Uh up to me because I wouldn't have the comfort of my parents when I was there. So, but it was fine because I was with you guys. (laughs) Yeah. Stupid kid. But it just, it was a big moment of like, I'm letting that go. And like, in a way, I feel like I'm by myself, even though Mm -hmm. people I spend a lot of time with. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever go to like camps or anything like that growing up? No. Okay. No, because my mom had summers off. So she didn't have to shove you. didn't need to shove you into a camp. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I, I had friends who would go on go to camps like go to Michigan for a summer camp and well like far for camp yeah yeah I remember getting like postcards from them and I thought that would be really fun but I never did it (laughs) (laughs) well I went to camp once when I was probably like a tween probably that Mm -hmm. age and I definitely remember missing my parents a lot Mm. and I remember them having like the camp having a rule of like you can only call them like once a day or something like that because otherwise it makes it more difficult. Like it makes it harder. Mm, And like as a parent myself, I understand that. But then I also think about the concept of like, okay, with cell phones now and stuff like that. And I'm just kind of like, I really don't know how comfortable I would feel if I didn't have the ability to contact my child or vice versa, Mm, you know? And so it's like, yeah, of course I would try to not. And hopefully they would try to not. But it's kind of like the, the the rule in schools, right? Of like, you're not allowed to have your cell phones or like you can't have your cell phones out. And I think that there's actually been a lot of backlash around that. And so mm-hmm. it is, I mean, it's this concept of like, you're away from your parents for the first mm-hmm. time. And yeah. it's, it's no matter if you're with friends or you're with other family, that's, that's definitely a change. But I remember, you know, that it's funny that even though we have traveled so much growing up and like as kids, we didn't really have to travel by ourselves until... Like adulthood, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, and there was definitely times where we would travel without family. Like I, w- I, I, I had gone on trips with like friends, which is interesting, too, because then you see how another family kind of travels, which is can be very different than the way that your family travels. But but yeah, I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, I'm so independent. And like, yeah, I feel like, you know, I, that we've traveled a lot and and have navigated that very well. But then I would meet people and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I used to have to fly back to go visit like my mom or visit my dad and I would be like an unaccompanied minor. And so I was flying by myself when I was like, you know, a child. And I'm like, 
wow, that is amazing. And I, I can't imagine what it's like navigating that. So. Oh, so scary. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen kids doing that on their own. They have like somebody who walks them up to the gate and like some of them look terrified that yeah. like being a really little kid doing that. That's yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, the thing is, too, is that apparently to even walk an unaccompanied minor to the gate, you have to have a ticket. Like, mm. so. Oh, it, yeah. That's. Yeah. Like a post 9-11. Thing, and it's right? almost like as much as if you were flying with them. Like, yeah. it's kind of crazy. So, yeah. yeah. So that's a whole other thing. But yeah. I think like, you know, the the thought of independent travel and solo travel again like I think I feel like my experience doing that was a lot through work first started out Mm -hmm. as like a work thing that I needed to do but I guess maybe my first big trip completely by myself like because I I traveled a lot in high school because I Mm -hmm. I went to an international study school with the intention of like they had an exchange programs with sister Mm -hmm. cities yeah And so that was the whole point of it was like staying over there for two weeks with a host family. And so that was really interesting. And that was that was a big adjustment too, of like being away from Mm -hmm. family. But I was still with friends for the most part who I went to school Mm -hmm. with. But yeah, living in a whole another with another family who doesn't speak English. It's definitely a a a growth experience, I would say. Yeah. 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 Like putting yourself in that that, uh, environment where it's like I remember I, I was staying with a host family in Costa Rica and they didn't speak any English and mm. I was found myself on that trip like and I was not in the Spanish program so I didn't know any Spanish <laughs> but it was amazing that after a week I could r- understand most of what they were saying to me mm-hmm. in con- be based off of context you know and and I think that's when I first started having an appreciation of just like yeah if you just really really immerse yourself somewhere it's mm-hmm. amazing how quickly you can pick things up because you yeah. have to yeah yeah I feel like that sometimes with my kid when when I'm trying to understand what he's saying and it's like, oh, it's starting to click now. I'm starting to understand his language. Like I've immersed myself in this language. Yeah, I think, too, it depends on what culture you're in. I think Spanish speaking cultures are very amicable to that. I don't know if that's the right noun or adjective or again, my brain is fried. But I've noticed when I've traveled, some cultures and some people who speak a foreign language are inherently more patient mm-hmm. if you don't as opposed to other places where they just won't really give you the time of day or really try to like you know in a way like slow things down for you or mm-hmm. try to work with you so I, I do appreciate that when I experience that when I travel and someone you know kind of takes the time to know like my Spanish is shit but I remember <laughs> when I was in Mexico one time I went up to this like security guard at a museum and asked him a simple question in Spanish and he realized like this girl does not know Spanish mm-hmm. but she's trying mm-hmm. and he took a moment collected himself and like gave me a very simple answer in Spanish that I totally understood and I was like so appreciative of that yeah. so those little nuances of, of the cultures that you're immersed in I think are, are so interesting too and and I feel like I mean I will never know what it's like to visit the U.S. as a non-English speaker, but I feel oh, like yeah. people in the U.S. are so impatient and so self-centered that yeah. it would be really, really hard if you're in that situation here. I mean, it's also a supremacy thing, right? Yeah. Of like an attitude of thinking that it's like, well, you should speak English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You're in America. Why right. don't you speak American? Why don't you speak American? <laughs> and it's like, well, there's no official language, technically. But, you know, well, that's another episode. Uh, <laughs> that's a commercial <laughs> that's a commercial right there yes but yeah I mean I, I think it's 
it's one of those is one of those things where, and that's kind of the bad reputation too that like the ugly American tourist gets, of mm. like oh you just go to another country and you assume that they're gonna speak English and that everything mm. it's like the point of going somewhere else is because it's different mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and or at least that's what i think the point of travel is is to get outside mm-hmm. of some of the creature comforts of home but i guess different priorities right <laughs> different yeah. different travel expectations too um, it was really interesting and in, in portugal i didn't Por- european portuguese is a truly chaotic language and i was trying to learn a little bit before i went but it just was not clicking and and so I picked up on a few greetings, and I had heard that everybody spoke English there. So it wasn't something to really worry about. And I asked one of our, who was it, one of our servers, how people learn English there. Like, why why is English so synonymous here? Mm-hmm. And his theory was because Netflix does not have Portuguese <laughs> dubbing or subtitles. Uh-huh. Because Portugal's like... A small country within uh-huh. the grand scheme it's of things. It's too they small don't... to matter in the framework yeah. of capitalism. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. So it's like you can either watch it with like French dubbing or subtitles or, or just watch it in English. And yeah. that's probably a really great way to learn English yeah. too. So it seems like it's that has really kind of infiltrated that part of the culture. And as tourism has picked up there, it seems like, I don't know, the timing of it and media is just very, very interesting to me. So you're saying that there's hope for me in being able to learn Japanese by watching enough Terrace House. (laughs) (laughs) It got to a point where I was watching so much of it in, in Japanese where it's like, I don't even need the subtitles, right? I can. I feel like I just understand what's happening, <laughs> but not really. That would be that'd be a great way to learn. Yeah, I remember. Oh God, I miss that show so much. <laughs> I know this. The the theme song is playing in my head right now as we're having yeah. this conversation. We should do a whole terrace house. Episode. We will. Yes. <laughs> For the Patreon. <laughs> yeah. For nobody yeah. but us. Um, wh- when do you think you felt the least? prepared as far as like language goes of just completely Mm. like thrown out there and you're just like oh how do I navigate this Mm. because I have a pretty distinct memory for myself yeah um hmm I don't know if I've ever felt that way very strongly I remember I mean in some parts of Japan not many people spoke English but you could still I didn't feel like, oh, I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. I think another privilege about knowing English is that most countries, the signage yeah. will be in English as well. Yeah. So that's that's a plus. Nothing super strong coming up. What, what were you thinking in your experience? Yeah. So I have a very distinct memory of this because it, I think it because it had been such a long time since I felt so underprepared for mm-hmm. a trip. Or like underprepared for being in a place where I, I usually try to learn some of the the language, right? The local language enough to get by of like greetings and you know asking simple questions and everything. But I've been able to navigate you know Europe and the Romantic languages. And again, you can kind of figure it out. And English is pretty prevalent. And even traveling within China, you know, had been learning Chinese and been studying Chinese, and so that was actually kind of part of it was like putting myself in there to learn the language, but. Mm-hmm. When I was traveling for work one time, and maybe this is because it was like, it didn't even show up on my radar of something that I should have prepared for. 
but I went to Seoul, Korea, for a very quick part of my trip. And I didn't realize until I touched down in the airplane that, like, oh, shit, I literally know nothing in, of <laughs> Korean. No Korean whatsoever. I started to get really nervous because Korean was also a language to me where it was, I couldn't, there was no, I, there was no context that I, I couldn't pick up mm -hmm. on like intonations or anything because even the cadence is very different than like Chinese or a romantic language. Right. And so it was, it was like somebody would say something to me and it was just sound. Yeah. You know, I would have, I have no context for what they're talking about. And, and I guess I kind of had this feeling a little bit when I was in Japan as well. But mm -hmm. it wasn't so much like a fear. It was just more of like, I felt I felt like an idiot that I should have learned yeah. more because I would be in a shop and somebody would be speaking to me in Japanese and I would just nod and keep walking around the shop. And they were probably <laughs> like, wow, this person probably so either is deaf, doesn't speak Japanese, or is just super weird. And like, <laughs> just like, like, do I exist or what? But yeah, in Korea though, it was like, oh shit, I'm, I'm also here by myself. Yeah. Like I am here for work, but until I meet up with those work people, like I'm I'm by myself. Before that I had been traveling a lot to Taiwan and so mm -hmm. I at least knew how to get into a taxi, tell the taxi where I was going, ask for a receipt, you know. And then when I landed in Korea, I just felt like for the first time I was like, Oh my god, this felt like my first <laughs> Don't know trip ever. Like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that I think that's why I was just like I it was very memorable because I, I think it was like, oh, yeah, overconfidence. Like, I had gotten yeah. to the point where it's like, I forgot that, like, I, I feel better about travel when I am prepared. And for the first time mm -hmm. in a while, I felt un unprepared. Yeah. So, yeah. Was it scary? It wasn't oh scary, though. And that's something, too, that, like, I wanted to comment about travel in Asia. Like, I have always felt the safest as a mm -hmm. woman and a mm -hmm. person of color and an Asian woman, you know, of like, I've just mm -hmm. always felt the safest physical safety wise in Asia. And, mm -hmm. and I, and so I, I know it's like, you know, there's, there's these stereotypes or these misconceptions of like, oh, well, you know, pickpockets and like these types of crimes. But as far as violent crimes go, and as far as like the culture of like catcalling and street harassment, that's mm -hmm. like, I have found that to be pretty non-existent when I was traveling mm -hmm. in Asia. And so I never felt unsafe. And so I think that mm -hmm. like, and, and I was lucky enough too, when I was traveling for work, that I was traveling to very large cities. And mm -hmm. so it was easy to navigate, you know, and it was a lot of expats around too. And so that was very accessible like as, a, as a visitor, but mm -hmm. I never felt unsafe. And I remember I would go out to dinner, I would go out at night with, with coworkers and stuff, or I'd just be walking back to my hotel by myself. And I felt, I feel so much safer in Shanghai than I do in Oakland, you know? And, mm -hmm. uh, and I asked a friend, so I went, one time when I was back in Shanghai for a, a business trip, I met up with a friend, a coworker, and she had been doing an expat assignment. And I asked her, I was like, how, how, is, how is it over here? You know, how is life? And she's like, it's great. I was like, do you ever feel unsafe? She's like, no, I was living in San Francisco before. This is, this, like, I, I feel so safe. Yeah. Like, I never, I never feel like I have to look over my shoulder or anything like that. And so, and I think that's maybe something that I also started considering more and more as an aspect of travel as I got older and I would mm -hmm. be traveling by myself or with other girlfriends that it's like, okay, 
where are we not going to have issues also? Yeah. Which is yeah, so unfortunate. About that. So yeah. unfortunate, right? Especially with solo travel. And that it's yeah. like, it's limiting of like, oh, maybe you want to go somewhere, but, you know, how are you going to get there? And is it going to be okay to go on that hike? Yeah. You know, like... So, yeah. yeah, that's bullshit. And that's also for another yeah. episode, too. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And also, like, it sucks to have to weed out destinations because of that. But I think, you know, looking at this trip ahead and then just thinking about solo travel, that's where it comes down to being a smart traveler. Mm-hmm. Like, little things, like, I feel like when I travel alone, I'm hyper aware of things yeah. because I don't have someone as a crutch to navigate or look out for you know stuff happening on the streets even in the U.S. like Mm -hmm. I feel like even just the couple times I've been to California on my own recently it's like I'm just super aware because I know it's just me and I know I have to be yeah so I think that's it comes down to just like being really smart and it sucks to have to think about that as a woman but little things like that and even like putting your purse cross body if you feel like you're in a dicey area or around a lot of people or you're just gonna wear a money belt under your shirt high up by your breastbone right that's that's the proper travel (laughs) yeah and then when i'm paying for street food (laughs) i have to disrobe (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the (laughs) trade-off yeah yeah it's like oh let me pay you and unbutton my pants and oh there's a coin and in my underwear now (laughs) it's really safe it's safer than a crossbody really purse, really. <laughs> no. So dumb. <laughs> so dumb. So it's a dumb. little pouch. Just <laughs> safety pinned in your head. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Do whatever you have to do to feel safe. But, you know, everybody is different. And I think with but, experience but, but and practice, you know your own, your own boundaries. Do what you need to do to feel safe. But... But think about sometimes if it's going to actually make you safer. I I know. And like, think about, yeah, things like that, that will just target you as a tourist. Yes. Like this last trip I was on, the hotel concierge gave us this map and then marked this area for us to go to eat dinner. And there's like a little plaza. We're walking and we just landed in Porto and we didn't have our bearings. So my friend was like, get that map out. And I was just like, I don't know. I don't want to do that right now. (laughs) Like six panel map in the middle of the street. Like, and so I got it out and like tried to just like fold it in sections to see the one that we needed. And I was like, screw this and I just like crumpled it in my purse <laughs> shoved it back in there in a ball it's not like on that episode of friends when they're in London and like Joey opens the map and like steps into the map to orient himself like you were doing that <laughs> in the street corner <laughs> oh. yeah. yeah I mean I think it's also it's also really funny like the concept of you know you don't want to stick out as a tourist and it, but it's, it's weird like when I'll be traveling and the places where I have been not mistaken, I guess, or just assumed to be a local the most has been France where like what? people will come up to me and start speaking French and asking for directions. Mm. And I'm just like, Oh, don't know. Sorry. <laughs> but I'm like, but part of me is like, wow, I feel so proud that they just assumed <laughs> like, that's so nice for once for once to be assumed to be from there when it's like in America, I'm American. I only speak American and people coming up to me and thinking that I'm not from here. Like, you know, 
bullshit. So, so yeah. These people don't judge. Yeah, but then it's like when I'm over in China and it's like everybody knows I'm not Chinese. Like everybody knows I'm American. You just see like the way you walk. And they're like, yes, no. yes, definitely. I have the overconfidence of an American when I walk. <laughs> yeah maybe that i don't know what i don't know what gives me away exactly um that's like the a lot of the dissection that we do on this on this podcast i'm just like hmm not not asian not american but asian american (laughs) what is she (laughs) now you've never been to china before right no i think that's also an interesting thing about our family is that not many of the people in our family have actually been to china Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I the first time I went there was in high school because I was doing that exchange program thing, and then and then I started traveling a lot for work to China. And there was one trip in particular where I actually went to southern China, so the Guangdong area, where Grandpa's family is supposed to be from. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the first time supposed that to be from supposed to be <laughs> supposed to be from. So I've heard on the street <laughs> that's where that's where our family is from. Um, that's where I tell everybody our family is from when they're like, what part of China is your family from? And I'm like, uh, the South, uh, Guangdong, <laughs> you know, and so like, so I think growing up knowing that, but then never actually seeing that place, going there for business was really interesting because I remember, I remember driving in a taxi to the company that I was visiting. And since you haven't been to China, the landscape there, it's very, it's in some ways exactly what you would expect of like rice fields and like all of these sort of traditional looking houses that you would expect, mm. right? But then because of the immense growth that has happened in China, and this was also a few years ago too, like several years ago. And so I'm sure that even since then, it looks completely different. They have had such growth there that in the middle of that, you also have these huge factories and these huge buildings so the juxtaposition of that, like, modern and traditional. But then, particularly in the area that I was in, I was passing by, and it was this gigantic building. We will put this in the Instagram, maybe, where it was in the shape of a gold coin. Okay? What? Like, did, it's, did you take a picture of it? Yes, I have it, yes. <laughs> and, and so it's like, you know, those buildings that or those hotels and resorts that they built in Dubai that they built on the islands that they also built. They, all, they built the island and then they built a building on it. And yeah, it's kind of that like concept you. where it's like, oh, it looks like a sailboat. This is like, it looks like a legitimate, like, gigantic golden coin. So it's like a very dissociating experience being in China when you see such juxtaposition between these things to begin with. But then when I was visiting this factory... I was standing on the production line and I was standing there talking to the account manager and talking to the people on my team in English. Mm-hmm. And I was watching somebody assemble something. And it was this woman who was probably younger than me, slightly younger than me, but around the same age. And she was sitting there and she was assembling, you know, these pieces together and inspecting them and moving them down the line. And I just had this like overwhelming sense of like, family history and emotion wash over me it was really weird it was like an out-of-body experience of like I was watching myself watch this woman and thinking to myself that if grandpa had not left Guangdong that could be me like how different life is depending on what happens you know and so it was like that one that one fork in the road where like they made the decision to go to another country and give it all up. And and that am I living 
what what was like their dreams basically that it was like the dream of building a better life for your family mm-hmm. and that in some regard I was and that I had right but then it was a very odd feeling that like I was going back to our homeland in some sense but felt so disconnected from it too mm. Mm-hmm. And and that it's like it is it's that constant tension of appreciating where you came from, but mm-hmm. understanding that 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 is not all the influences that we have in our lives, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that was like a super overwhelming experience, and it was also like I was on a business trip, so it's like keep it together, Emily. But <laughs> it was so weird because I, it was like the first time in my life that I had kind of looked at it of like how different my life could have been mm-hmm. had our parents and our grandparents made different choices. Mm-hmm. And this was before I had kids too. But it was it was like, well, the reason for that sacrifice of leaving this homeland behind, what was it? Was it to give us mm-hmm. security? Was it to give us, you know, education? Was it to give us the freedom to pursue happiness? You know, it's like, is that the American dream? So it was just like a very, it was a very dissociative experience of like, yes, feeling very Chinese and feeling very, very, very not Chinese at the same time. Yeah, And that's Um, so interesting too that you mentioned like this is supposed to be, in a sense, a homeland. mm -hmm. You know, this is where grandpa was from and we're so close to grandpa. But I can't even imagine what physically that would be like. But that just makes me think about, you know, like when you are you know, generationally this American and don't have ties to that place. And, you know, I can't speak for grandpa, but I I wish I had. I I never really had conversations about what home was like for him. Mm -hmm. He left when he was pretty young. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I mean, that's the thing too, is that it's like he himself was so Americanized because he yeah. been, he had been in America for so long. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's that's such an interesting experience because it makes you think about the possibilities, but also like we're so lucky because we have a choice because yep. of these decisions our family has have made. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but also like you know even thinking about whatever that pressure may be or whatever the goal may have been from the family, like respecting that and maybe acting upon it in different ways, but, you know, being your own person, Mm -hmm. how does that all play together? I think that's a kind of a uniquely like third plus generation American mentality. Yeah. 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 It's funny. It's like when you, when you get far enough removed from something, to be able to look at it from the outside in. Did that make you think about your work differently at all or your career? Um, I mean, I have I have a lot of tension around the way that I feel <laughs> about my work. And that's part of it, too. Like, I mm-hmm. think that uh, I, I don't I think that that didn't start me thinking differently about my work because I kind of already had some feelings around my work uh, mm-hmm. as it relates to that of like. That, yeah, that these are like my people <laughs> who, mm-hmm. are, who are doing this. Um, and uh, for like American consumers, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, th- I do think that overall my experience with like working in Asia and China specifically, 
I think that I just have such an appreciation for the amount of skill and discipline in that it's not, it's not like, oh, made in China. It's just cheap stuff. You know, it, it, it is, it's weird because it's like a confluence of like capitalism and human capital and technology and immigration and all of that stuff. And so yeah, I think maybe that was part of it too, washing over me at the same time of having this realization of just like all of those things. I'm on the other side of this coin, but I very easily could have been there. Yeah. Instead, so the other side of this huge golden this huge coin. giant coin building. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna show you a picture of that. <laughs> Sounds that. very uh, like Bellagio. Yes. Chinese New Year flower. Yeah. You would you would expect to see it in like Macau for sure. Um, yeah. That's the crazy thing about like Macau is that it's also uh, like it's like Vegas, but like on steroids. It's like the most American thing that you can possibly think of exists usually in outside of America mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's their perception of what um, American stuff is. This is the coin. Oh, my God. It's a building. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> That's yeah. insane. Yeah. So we'll, we'll post this in the <laughs> Instagram so that people can have an idea. It'll Did be a teaser. A... It'll just be like, here's a random picture with no commentary, with no co- <laughs> caption on it. Gotta listen to figure out why we posted this. <laughs> Could be many things. Yeah. Did you get a sense for what the people were like in that area? I mean, I know you're just there for work, but. Not really. You know, and I think that's, that's maybe something that if I do travel to China more, I don't know. It's tough, though. I mean, especially now traveling, traveling to China mm-hmm. traveling to Asia, traveling for anywhere for work just sounds very daunting for me. But but like I would I I think I did I did miss an opportunity to sort of immerse myself more in the society there a little bit more because it, because I was doing a lot of solo travel, too. It was just like I could mm-hmm. I could just go do whatever I wanted. And, and in some cases I did, but it was. You know, also traveling alone and, and again, it's not like I felt unsafe, but to to kind of seek that out, I think it was mostly a language thing. Mm-hmm. I do still have this weird sense like uh, of um, not shame, I want to say, but it's like reluctance to try and speak Mandarin uh, mm-hmm. while I'm there, because in some senses, it's like it's just easier when people assume that I don't speak any. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that it's like, it's just kind of easier. <laughs> Again, it's like Asian, Asian, Chinese, Chinese, American, American, what, what, what's going on? So different. And it's like just American, just speak English to me, please, because I'm not going to be able <laughs> to understand enough. Um, but then it is, it's kind of like this, like, uh, I feel like this gross stubbornness too, of like, you should speak Chinese. You're in China, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, but then I know that if I, if I speak a little bit of Chinese or if I try to speak Chinese, the response back is going to be more rapid fire than I'm going to be able to understand. And that because I look Chinese, the expectation is different too. And so it's tough. It's not like if I'm in France and I'm just going to speak French because if it doesn't sound good, then nobody expects me to speak good French. So (laughs) yeah, again, it's that expectation thing. Except for that person who asked you if you were French. Just because I hadn't said anything. <laughs> I just look French. I have the I have the presence of a French woman, apparently. No, but I, I think again, I think it's like this this thing that I have about myself of like I have this expectation where if I don't if I can't speak something fluently, I don't want to try and speak it at all. And I need to get over that. But Yeah. yeah. And then I think, yeah, especially because the expectation that you think will be the response is different because you are Chinese. That makes it a little bit harder. Yeah. I just need to get like really, really, really tan first. 
and then go over there and then people will be like, wow, her Chinese is so good. <laughs> yeah. Good plan. Yes. Yep. They'll be taking pictures of you. <laughs> you know, work travel for you versus personal travel. And now mm-hmm. that you don't have work, what that last trip was like for you, because it was the first yeah. trip that you've taken big trip since the pandemic, but it was also the first big trip that you've taken since, you know, not working anymore, quitting your yeah. job. Exactly. So work travel first, I did a bit of that for, I guess it was my last job pre-pandemic. So a good three years, I was traveling quite frequently for work just around the US, typically by myself. So that was, I guess, in essence, solo travel, but I'd always have a mission. I'd always be there to facilitate an event or do something specific. When you were going on on your missions. Yeah, I was going on my missions. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm Yes, <laughs> to spread the good word. Yeah, your work. <laughs> this mm-hmm. Word, yes, work trips. But I would always kind of, when I could, and if it was somewhere I was interested in, I'd always kind of like weasel my way into making it a personal trip too, like add on the weekend before the work started Monday yeah. so I could actually explore the city. Um, and it was a really cool way to see the U.S. I traveled to different places. Like I would never go just at my own leisure, a lot of like the Carolinas and around that mm-hmm. area, Florida a bit. Yeah, so I think it was interesting. It definitely lost its charm after like 10 a few times. trips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at first it's like, oh, this is going to be a cool part of my job, but it's like, this is really fucking tiring. Right. And then I get back, especially when you travel east and there's a three hour time difference, which those just get harder and harder to bear with I feel like Mm -hmm. as I get older and then you get back like late on a Wednesday and I was expected to just hop back into work like first thing Tuesday morning so yeah first thing Tuesday morning first thing yeah (laughs) for weeks that's how scrambled your brain is yeah that's how broken you get back on a Wednesday and you're like I should have been working since Tuesday (laughs) (laughs) and I think it's hard too because it's like work travel it's it is what it sounds like you're traveling but I had to work work, the whole time and some of the days were like 12 hour days and it was different from being in the office because I was in front of people you know giving interviews talking to people putting on events very on yeah (laughs) Yeah. really really tiring and being on like that is it sounds ridiculous but it's it takes a different energy out of you Mm -hmm. so yeah so work travel is fine and then Traveling now, I did have a moment this past trip where obviously I'm not working. So this was a vacation from nothing. I wasn't really vacating. <laughs> you were vacating from the U.S. Just for a little yeah, bit. Vacating yeah, vacating from the U.S. Yes. But I, I think my mental space was so different because my day-to-day here wasn't filled with work or typical stresses that I needed a break from. Like, I feel like I kind of have a retiree life here. (laughs) And so being in Portugal, I was definitely like appreciating everything. But I feel like because of the situation I was coming from, it was like less of like, oh, this is a release and Mm -hmm. now I can absorb it in this way. Mm -hmm. Like this is a true break from something and... I'm loving this because it's so different than what I was doing before. Mm-hmm. And in ways, in some ways, it was a little bit more stressful than my everyday life just because of the logistics and then 
having to be careful with COVID and whatnot and, you know, figuring out what to do each day and what we're, how we're going to get from city to city. So part of that definitely felt like work mm-hmm. because I haven't been working yeah. at all. So super different mental space. And it was funny. I mentioned it to my partner. I was on the phone with him when I was out there. And I told him this. I was like, I can't quite wrap my head around it. He was like, you know, I was talking to our neighbor the other day and I just mentioned off the cuff, like, Kayla's in Portugal. And he's like, I didn't even say she's on vacation in Portugal. It's just Mm -hmm. like where you are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're not really doing anything different. It's just like your physical location. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just physically where you are now. So I don't, I feel like it almost wasn't as satisfying as Mm -hmm. a trip Mm -hmm. that I would have taken while I was working or kind of how trips have that effect when you are really busy and filled with things you have to do. So it was really interesting. I'm still like trying to wrap my head around it. And this next trip to Peru Peru will be different because I kind of have a mission. Yeah. I'm going on a mission to Peru. <laughs> I am. I do You're have spreading a the good word of the Double Cuzzies podcast yeah. across the globe. <laughs> to our Peruvian audience. Now that I'm going to retreat, so it's like this very structured uh, and it's a, they, structured it's, yeah yeah a thing I'm doing and I know like I, I don't have to do very much planning and it's just I'm going to experience this thing and get something from this thing but yeah it's not like a floaty vacation so mm-hmm. that will be very different but yeah it's they're gonna be two very interesting trips to compare but yeah travel is weird for my headspace these days yeah. <laughs> I feel like yeah yeah yeah, what was work, work travel like for you? Because you, there was a time in your life where you were doing that a lot. Yeah. Lot, right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've my entire career I've done a, up until recently, actually, I've done a lot of travel. The travel has changed depending on like the company and the job early on in my career. It was a lot of domestic travel. And then and, and that was interesting, too, because. Like I said before, like we actually, I feel like as kids saw more globally than we did domestically. And so it was interesting having to go to these cities within the U.S. that I never otherwise would have visited. And and so that was that was kind of interesting experience, too, like because traveling at that time for work, it was like I was, you know, a 20 something Asian woman and going in to talk to these companies these suppliers basically these factories the perception is very much like you know who is this and mm-hmm. like who's this girl basically mm-hmm. and then also being in cities or not even cities but maybe like not even big cities where it was like a lot more of like like oh asian you know and so that experience was weird and then also because of the people who i was traveling with for work <laughs> because he set that in <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, ooh, Asian. Uh, <laughs> but it was also odd because it was like not imposter syndrome, but I think it was kind of like uh, when I would go to these suppliers, I would also have to kind of assert myself of like, no, like mm-hmm. you're negotiating with me, you know? Mm-hmm. And and so that mindset of like, like I know my shit. And like, and I think that carried through like traveling too. Of that, mm-hmm. Cause that was the first time where I had really, I fully owned all of the logistics for things, booking hotels, booking flights, you know, commuting, like figuring out rental cars, how to get from the hotel to wherever I needed to go. And so I think it was, and because that was like one of the first things that I had to do out out of college, it was like, Mm -hmm. that was kind of a big, like, okay, 
figure out work travel. But the work travel at that point was not very luxurious. Mm -hmm. It was not to very desirable places. But then when I changed into tech, <laughs> you know, quite frankly, it changed a lot. But then also the nature of travel changed and the frequency at which I needed to go change. And I think that's what you're mm -hmm. referring to of like, when I first started working in tech, there was a time where I realized I was, I didn't realize until after I left that job and I was looking at my passport, like, oh my <laughs> God, I was traveling to Asia like every other week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I remember very distinctly my first business trip with that job. It was my manager who was, um, emotionally abusive we'll just say <laughs> it was mm -hmm. the very crazy tiger mom that I never had or never wanted but it was like you need to go there and meet with them and it was like okay he's like you need to go next week or like maybe it was like even within a few days and I'm like okay what am I what do I need to talk to them about he's like you figure it out it's like, what? wait, why are you, you're so, you're saying, it's like red flag, number one. <laughs> like, yeah. So you're saying that I need to go over there so urgently, but either you don't know or you won't share with me what is so urgent that's requiring what? me to go over there. And that was just kind of the, the mentality or the culture around travel then of like, it was very, it was very much not self-directed it was like you're getting mm. told to go over there and when to go and so it's very disruptive but for what though exactly That's right so ridiculous. it's very disruptive to like life <laughs> of like yeah. i don't know if i'm going to be here or not right and i think that's a common theme there's a common struggle with people who live in the bay area and work in tech just mm. like like i don't know I, I i could be gone or it's like i might not see some of my friends for weeks or months because i'm just not mm -hmm. here at the right times or it doesn't schedules don't line up right and so mm -hmm. so like that was a struggle but i think that that was my first taste of like really really nice business travel where mm -hmm. it's like you fl you're flying business class or first class and that's mm -hmm. the way that you want to do it because you're going over to asia but then you also start to appreciate the reason why you have to fly business class is because you are expected to be working like the second that you touch down, even before that, mm -hmm. if you have accessibility on the plane, you are expected to be working. Mm -hmm. And, and so like, you have to be able to sleep on the plane because when you get there, it's the morning and then you go mm -hmm. straight to the, the supplier or whatever, and you start talking. And so you got to be on your game. And, and so that was, that was interesting, but it was, it was also this very jarring experience of like, well, I'm still getting the same kind of reaction that I was when I was traveling around the U.S. of like, well, who is this young Asian girl, right? Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, I'm the youngest, I'm the brownest, and I'm the most female of all the people waiting in line to get go into first class right now, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's weird because it's like I would sit down in my little pod, and then all these old white men would get on, and they'd all kind of look at me like, why is she here, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of the first taste of like, wow, the caste system within travel mm -hmm. and how nice it is when you're in the upper caste yeah. <laughs> and like how bullshit it is that there is a caste system at all. But it's like, once you, once you have a taste of that, it's like, I never want to fly not business class on that yeah. long of a flight. Like it spoils you for sure. And uh, so, yeah, I think, and then it goes back to the thing of just like, well, if I'm going to spend the time and I'm going to spend the money, like my own time, to go and travel on a nice trip, like it's going to be comfortable. I need to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so it does, it kind of ruins you. But, but I would say that like, when I changed jobs, I was still traveling quite a bit and a lot to Asia as well, but mm -hmm. it was a lot more self-directed of like, I need yeah. to go over there and talk to these people. Yeah. And I'm going to go on these dates. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that travel 
was a lot more aligned with, I think, how I treat personal travel, too. And, and mm-hmm. then it was kind of nice of, like you were saying, if you would kind of try and tack on, like, a personal stay yeah. over if it made sense, you know? And, yeah. and so that's, like, that's definitely one way that I took this big whirlwind trip around Asia. It was, like, over the course of two weeks or two mm-hmm. weeks for a work trip. But I think we went to, like, ten different cities. Mm-hmm. And I planned the entire trip for the group that I was with. And it was just, like, me and, like, three dudes in a van driving around <laughs> Asia, <laughs> like, using my Wi-Fi hotspot. And, and like, that was that was kind of, like, it felt like some of the either family trips that they've taken before or, like, friends trips of, like, road tripping. But, yeah, the planning the logistics of that and then getting to end up in, in Tokyo, though. And then also getting to reconnect mm-hmm. with family through a, in, oh, throughout yeah. Asia because I ended up in Malaysia for a work trip. Mm-hmm. And so then I like reached out to family. And, and, and so I think that's kind of the nice thing about work travel is that it is also a really good excuse to reconnect with people. Yeah. 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 While you're there, link up with a friend or yeah, someone mm-hmm. you haven't seen in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, especially your first tech job, do you think the atmosphere of tech and maybe, I mean, your manager was a, a specific case, but do you think or did you see those companies pushing that much travel on the younger people or was it across the it board? It was everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was everybody. It was it was just this culture of like you need to be on on the ground having these discussions and and that it, it was just it was boots on the ground. Basically, <laughs> it was the mentality. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, you know, quite frankly, it's like for a lot of the people, I think maybe partially drawn to that kind of lifestyle. But it does get old fast and it, it gets really hard, if not impossible, to really continue doing that if you are, you know, going to get pregnant or have kids or yeah. have young kids and stuff. And so, yeah, that 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 was really tough. I think it was always funny, though, because you would have these people like myself where, you know, you're young and you're lower level in the company, but you travel so much. So you have crazy high status. And so there would yeah. be times where I got some of my coworkers would be like, oh, yeah, I got a, on a plane with so and so and so and so being like a VP. And and like they were sitting like, you know, in the other section and I was sitting in like first class and they were kind of <laughs> looking at me like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> and it was like, yeah, well, they yeah, last. it's because I've, I've had to travel like, you know, for 70 percent of the year. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think that culture had really changed much since I left. I consciously stopped doing that. Actually, it was a great excuse to stop doing that kind of travel when I got pregnant the first time. Mm-hmm. And then since that, that is the last time that I have been to Asia for work mm-hmm. was was then. And so I, the pandemic made everything go crazy, right? Of just like all these people used to traveling all the time and yeah. at the drop of a hat. And now it was like, gotta do right, things figure out how to do it from your home. Yes. <laughs> so. It's like we all can. Wow. What a waste of resources right. that was. Right. <laughs> and so I feel like a lot of companies are also reevaluating that. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like not just the cost of it, but also sustainability wise, like, you know, you read these reports of these plane companies or airlines flying empty planes around it's and it's just like, ridiculous. Doing this? So yeah. So yeah, it's uh, the nature of travel. It's going to be really interesting to see how how tra- travel changes, given mm-hmm. that we are kind of coming out now, knock on wood, you know, things are starting to go back to clo- closer to what they were before anyways. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how travel changes because it's like, yeah. you know, I think the biggest the biggest shift in travel experiences was like 9-11. Mm-hmm. And then now with all, you know, the pandemic stuff, it everybody has forced... Has- <laughs> everybody to think of things in a very different way yeah like i mean for the most part like vacations aren't necessary Mm -hmm. but 
now I think like, okay, all the resources and the time and the risks of displacing yourself and going to on this trip, like everything is just more impactful mm-hmm. now that we've been through two years plus of like not having this and having to reevaluate our priorities and what we think of the world. Yeah. So. And I think I'm starting to think about the concept of like staycations a little differently too. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we live in places where people come to visit. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. there are things that are, that's super nice that are just locally around us. Mm-hmm. And I think about with small kids, it's really hard to plan a trip. And it's also not super, it's not a vacation. It's a trip. It's work, right? Of like yeah. planning it and, and coordinating everything. And so it's, it's for them. But mm-hmm. as far as like an actual vacation, it's like, oh, I should actually just take a day off of work when I have childcare already and just go and do something locally yeah. because there's yeah. so many things around me. Like, why am I not doing that more? You know? Yeah. And, and so I think it's just a matter of, of doing that. <laughs> so. Yeah. But, you know, you mentioned the kids. The kids won't remember anything until yeah. they're like six or seven. Yeah. So I know it's a good break for, for the whole family to go on a trip. But yeah, I'm just saying from personal experience, <laughs> it's probably a waste. Yeah. They, they won't appreciate it. They won't remember it. It's like our memories of trips don't kick in until around that age. So yeah. I'm just, just going like to gaslight them until some, then. Some yeah, pictures see? of them. Like, exactly. In like Teotihuacan and yeah, like, that was a that wasn't a movie that the parents had actually just like photoshopped themselves because the, the kid was like I don't remember any of these trips or whatever. <laughs> what was that in? I'm gonna have to look it up afterwards. But yeah, yeah, that concept of just like yeah, do you remember when we went here and I took you here and you met the queen and like all these things? Like you're like what? <laughs> you're like in this parade and <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just gaslight them. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> All right, so that wraps it for this week's episode. Bon voyage, Kalia. <laughs> Thank you. Gracias. De nada. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening to Double Cuzzies, where we're cousins. And friends. But most importantly, we're family. Bye. Bye. <laughs>